0: Hi there This episode of the podcast was recorded on the 2nd of July 2021 at home in Wicklow In it I go on a little bit of an exploration of identity and representation and I stick a daring toe into the muddy waters of woke culture and the culture wars and identity politics and the launch pad for almost everything in the episode is an episode from another podcast which I was listening to this morning or listening to on the morning I recorded the podcast rather so yeah that's what's going on and it jumps around a bit but I think I think there's an identifiable through line or certainly some connected dots that will hopefully make sense. Um, also, I had an inquiry after last week's episode. Somebody wanted to know if I ever did manage to kiss <laughs> kiss some US cheerleaders in that summer of dodgy haircuts and the answer is a big fat lonely frustrated no there was no kissing there was nothing nothing but my naive (laughs) my naive nonsense Anyway, it was still a memorable summer for lots of other reasons, mostly positive. So there you go. No kissing. So sad. Listen, enjoy the episode. Talk to you soon. Ooh, not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream behind. Are we doing this? I think we are. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. Welcome. How's tricks? You doing okay? Are you enjoying your summer, your summer of love, or your summer of fewer restrictions? I went down to the river this morning for a swim, and I had a lovely solo swim, all alone, just me. It wasn't that early, but it was it was quiet there. It was probably around. Mm, half nine ten that sort of time and it was a sort of a dark overcast morning and the that part of the river yeah the 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 sun really has to come out and be directly on top for that section of the river to be lit up so it was quiet and dark but as i descended through the bushes and trees down to the river from the railway track because you have to cross a railway track to get to this section of river. Which means it makes it a bit less popular, I guess. It's 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 slightly, slightly dangerous. Um, only if there's a train coming. And everybody keeps telling me how quiet the trains are now. So they sneak up on you. I'm a little bit sceptical about this. They're certainly quieter than they were in the past, but you still know there's a train coming. It's not like... It's not like there's a tap on your shoulder, and suddenly there's a locomotive bearing down on you from inches away. In any case, I stumbled down, clambered down, made my way down through the bushes, through the trees, dodging little mini bursts of spiky gorse and the rocks. The, you know the large kind of yeah the large aggregate rocks that had tumbled down the sides of the bank from the railway track. Stumbling on those, bursting through the trees. And I disturbed a mallard and his mate. <laughs> um, A mallard, a duck. Those lovely ducks with those lovely green heads and slender necks. And a mallard and his mate suddenly burst from the bank into the river. They're probably having a little snooze or a lie-in. And they scooted out onto the river and proceeded to drift downstream I felt bad Uh, I think I'll approach I'll approach the river a bit more quietly the next time if I'm heading down there at that time of day and then I got into the river and it just felt dark it was dark in the water and I heard I heard a voice in my head not the hippie of last week just my voice asking is the river awake but then I thought, the river it never sleeps. It just has less light sometimes. But it was a lovely, lovely refreshing swim. And it set me, it set me nicely for the day. So there you go. Isn't that nice? A little, a little story of the river. I did see those ducks stop further down, further downstream. And uh, they were just having a pause and a little look around. They're probably cursing me, going, that fecker. So sorry about that, lads. Sorry, had to have me swim. Yeah. Earlier, earlier this morning, when I was out in the garden doing a bit of a bit of my routine, my morning routine, my stretches, a little bit of my conditioning stuff, I was listening to a lovely podcast. So I'm, I'm going to give you this little recommendation for a podcast that isn't my own. If you like music, music, if you like music and movies, music and films, I heartily recommend you check out a lovely podcast called Sound Tracking. Sound Tracking, all one word. And it's presented by this lovely Scottish woman who has a lovely Scottish accent. She's incredibly bubbly and cheerful and enthusiastic and i know that could be almost euphemistic for incredibly annoying but that is very much not the case uh, she's just passionate about what she loves which is music and movies and her name is edith bowman and once a week she introduces introduces sorry interviews uh predominantly movie makers directors or writers sometimes actors and the composers they have worked with or it might just be an interview with a composer who has written a particular piece for the soundtrack of a movie and plays extracts of the music, talks about the process, talks about the inspiration behind the particular compositional choices and it's a very nice way to spend 45 minutes to an hour. This morning she was interviewing the writer and director and the composer two separate people of the movie Supernova which you may or may not have heard of so I haven't seen this movie yet but I've seen the trailer and read a few reviews and it stars Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth as a gay couple and one of them has been diagnosed with dementia and they go on this road trip in their their RV their little travelling home and try to I guess maximize the presence of mind for as long as they can and the two leads have been given great reviews apparently very affecting uh, performances and by a happy coincidence Tucci and Firth are, are great friends in real life or have been for the last 20 years or so and yeah it sounds like it could be a really nice movie i do intend to watch it and the soundtrack the bits i heard of the soundtrack this morning um on the pot on that podcast sound absolutely beautiful very very sort of hmm. my music vocabulary will fail me but these beautifully moving stirring languid Flowing string arrangements. Um, to me, they reminded me a little bit of the work of Alexander Alexander or Alexandre Desplat. Or I, God, I don't even know if that guy's French. He did the soundtrack to The Tree of Life, Terrence one of Terence Malick's movies, amongst others. Beautiful composer, really, really good. Um, and the what I heard this morning was a bit evocative of that. And the composer's name is. First name is Heaton. (laughs) You can look it up. Look up the movie. You can find everything you need to know or find that podcast and give it a listen. So that's Heaton, which is... uh, That rhymes with Keaton, as in Buster Keaton or Diane Keaton. And it's not Heaton, as in I'm freezing. Turn on the Heaton. Now, I'm going to try and weave a little tapestry of connections because a few things came up during that podcast that... Triggered, triggered the, uh, the material or the, the kernels of ideas for this particular episode of the podcast. So I'm trying to decide where to start. And I suppose let's start with the casting. In this time of identity politics and culture wars... The casting of actors has become a very hot topic. A hot potato. And I read an article recently that observed that in previous years, casting two straight actors as gay men and in a, you know, in a, in a strong, dramatic piece of work would have been hailed as brave. Brave. It's, 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 it's probably a word that's overused in acting because let's not forget, actors are pretending. It's not real, guys. They're just pretending. And yet, there are times when actors go to places where it's hard, it's hard not to go, okay, well, that actually, <laughs> that actually took guts to expose yourself in that way. And that can be literal bearing of flesh or more metaphorical metaphor metaphorical exposing of emotion uh going somewhere deep in their own experience and accessing that to inform the character that they're playing um yeah so the 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 article that i read was pointing out that yeah in previous years casting those guys and their performances would have been regarded as brave brave, exciting, daring um, performances or daring choices, choosing to go to that place. And nowadays, it's almost like it'll flip the other way. Like, why didn't they cast two gay guys? What gay actors lost out on that work? Because yet again, two straight white men got to take the position of power and headline this Again, I haven't seen it, but what it looks like a really sweet, moving, affecting movie. Um, and I was kind of reflecting on that as I was listening to uh, Edith Bowman interview the director and the composer and talk about the movie. And I was thinking about those actors, both of whom I like, um, Colin Firth. Um, he does a very nice line in repressed, <laughs> repressed Englishness, but he's good, you know. He, he you know. He, he informs it it's it's not one note and yeah stanley tucci he's uh he's a nice actor He he has been he always has been for for a very long time always brings a bit of that uh american italian warmth to proceedings it can bring an in intensity he can be very cold he can be very funny Um. yeah he's got really quite a nice range um so two really good actors and i just thought look it's it just made me think what is like what is at the heart of this? What is at the heart of the controversy? What is at the heart of the discussion? And really, I suppose we're talking about representation and identity and who gets to represent and who gets to depict identity, who gets to tell the story. If we have a depiction of a homosexual relationship a gay relationship I don't know I think attitudes thankfully attitudes to same sex relationships these attitudes have changed in a very positive way it feels like it's almost no longer um, it's no longer noteworthy and we've kind of gone past knee jerk or uninformed homophobia or bigotry Um, are being shocked or amazed by that being represented on screen. Dementia, in this case, in the case of Supernova, dementia seems to be very topical. And there's more than one movie out at the moment, or more than one movie that's been made in the last year, featuring uh, very strong depictions of older people suffering from dementia um anthony hopkins of course played a character with dementia in the father did he win an oscar for that this year um i haven't seen that movie and another one i haven't seen is vigo mortensen's directorial debut called falling in which lance henriksen plays his father who has dementia um and I believe Vigo Mortensen in that movie is also playing a gay character and the father is pretty old school and homophobic um, and there's kind of quite a lot of layers of stuff that are coming out as the father's mind slowly uh slowly starts to malfunction, I guess, if, if that's that's not not a not the most subtle way or sophisticated way of describing dementia, but you know, it'll have to do for now. Anyway, let's come back to the idea of representation. So Viggo Mortensen is not gay. Um, Stanley Tucci, Colin Firth, they're not gay. Stanley Tucci's character in the movie has dementia or has been diagnosed with it. I don't believe he has dementia in real life. Lance Henriksen in Viggo Mortensen's movie does not have dementia. Anthony Hopkins in The Father does not have dementia. Um, and so they're actors and the gift of actors and many other artists is the gift of interpretation and the gift of empathy and the gift of representation and that is what probably draws actors to the trade to the craft in the first place because of the facility to reproduce the facility to mimic the facility to access other experiences other facets of human experience and represent them vividly compellingly on screen on stage wherever it may be and I think that's what we should be focusing on we should be focusing on the work now that is not to for a second step away from authentic representation and if we're talking about representing stories uh, of people communities ...ethnic groups who have not been represented largely, who have largely not been represented or have been underrepresented, uh, underrepresented on screen, then that's a different discussion, isn't it? And, but that's not to say that someone can't be informed about that, that's not to say that someone can't have an insight into that. I mean, you can be sympathetic, you can be informed, you can be well read, you can have an understanding of something without it being your own story. And I don't think that's a lapse or a crime, but I guess we come back to the idea of examples, or models, or exemplars, or um, what word am I looking for? It's, it's not the idea of a high representation, like a paragon, but It is simply about representation, this idea of you cannot be what you cannot see. And so if for many years, uh, many African-Americans felt that the only time they saw themselves on screen was playing slaves or entertainers or in later years, you know, drug addicts, drug dealers, people from the projects, um, you know, this kind of you know underbelly of deprivation you know that was the representation they'd see rather than like where's the where are the heroes where are the leading men where are the pillars of society that that has other aspects to it that represent a a narrow vision that represent an inability to ally the capitalist money-making drive of movie making with, with a, a broader sense of the stories that should be told and a broader sense of how fundamentally all stories can be interesting if told well. And so for me, that's what it comes back to. It's like, okay, well, who can tell the best story? And then we get back into the idea of representation. So who is, who is best equipped to tell this story? Or what aspect of the story are you trying to tell? And so, if we take a movie like Supernova, I don't think the story is about it's about two gay men being in love or being at a certain point in their relationship. I think the point is it's about, it's about a relationship. It's about any two people being in love and how dementia can impact that. And again their individual choices in terms of the characters or the creators of that story that's what's going to inform and color the specifics of that experience and how we relate to it is really going to be based on believability believability and relatability and if we believe those guys and if we relate to them If they find a way to bring us on the journey, their work is done. And then, as always with acting, the writing has to be good. If the writing's no good, they can't get you where they want you to go. Even the best actors, there's only so much they can do. So writing is all. Um, So there you go. There you go. I'm not sure if there was a a clear point that emerged from that. it's funny, though. I was thinking of this idea of competing movies. And, you know, back in the early 90s, um, Robin Hood. <laughs> there were competing Robin Hood movies. And you had Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. And such a memorable movie. And, like you know, we got such such great value, such great bang for our buck. Because not only did we get Kevin Costner's mullet, but we also got his naked butt which was, uh, was being admired by Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio's Maid Marian from the riverbank or the lake shore I can't remember what it was a lake or a river and there was Kevin's <laughs> there was Kevin's white arse <laughs> the rest of his body was beautifully tanned you're going what? where is he getting that? where is he getting that kind of tan line? in England back in the day um, at the same time and it came out a bit later, there was, I think it was just called Robin Hood, I can't even remember the exact name of the movie, but there was a rival Robin Hood movie featuring the Irish actor Patrick Bergen um, as Robin Hood, and Uma Thurman was made Marion, and it was a, a a much more muted affair, um, kind of, yeah, a bit more drab. Uh, not a terrible movie, as I recall, but that's what was competing those two movies they were it often happens you know scripts emerge at the same time and then it's a race who can get to the box office first Robin Hood it was back then and as I said earlier just last year 2020 we have three movies all featuring stories based around dementia and yeah quite uh quite interesting. Going back a little bit further, we had Julianne Moore um, seven years ago, I think it was. Was it 2014? She was in Still Alice. Um, I never got around to watching that. So her character is a linguistics professor who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, And it just, I felt that storyline, as much as I'm sure Julianne Moore gives a great performance, and I do like her as an actress, I just felt it was too on the nose... You know, the the character who had the, the great brain and language and intellectual, you know, gymnastics and com- complex computation. And that character has her brain succumb to Alzheimer's. There was that one. Going back even further, um there was 2006's Away From Her, which I think is a lovely movie based on an Alice Munro story or book, I think. And that featured Julie Christie as a woman who has Alzheimer's and she has to go into a home and while in that home she falls in love with another man much to the uh, mystification of her husband. But um, a very gentle, thoughtful, sensitive portrayal of Alzheimer's and yeah, Julie Christie is lovely in that movie. Um, Seek it out if you haven't seen it away from her. Now that was one thing the casting thing and who has the right to represent and it's interesting that like dementia has become such a it's kind of come front and centre I think in the public consciousness and people have a lot you know have a lot more or at least growing awareness of the complexity of dementia and I think that can only be a good thing Um, yeah I recently had a, a lovely catch up with some old friends, uh, a sort of a, a surrogate family to me when I was kind of growing up, particularly in my late teens to my mid twenties. Um and there the father in that family, who's an old friend of my dad's, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's several years ago and I hadn't seen him um in about nine years. And it was lovely to see him with his family and how his his family, his wife, his 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 own children and grandchildren, how everyone was kind of minding him but he was very much involved in everything that was going on, and it was it was obvious that his brain function, memory function, wasn't what it once was. But yeah, there was no um, no sort of no real evident sort of relegation of his role in the family, um, which was really lovely. And it was it was a fabulous fabulous kind of catch up. I was very kind of moved to to be amongst those people again. So lucky me. Nice, nice, nice for me. Now, here's another one. Also connected to the soundtrack, the soundtracking podcast. The composer, when he spoke, reminded me of... He reminded me of, just vocally, reminded me of a colleague of mine who I worked with in Melbourne. This lovely English guy who was from Durham, if I recall correctly. And he had a he was a very well spoken, composed sort of character. And yeah, this composer's voice in the podcast this morning reminded me of my friend. And I was just we used to sit beside each other in the in the staff room at the school where we worked together and we'd have a, have our kind of morning routine of a you know bit of chit chat while we got ready for class. There were a couple of other English Staff members um, who worked with us, and the three of them in particular used to have quite a bit of banter, the old bants a little bit of slagging a little bit of a uh, little bit of joshing, a little bit of back and forth. And at one point, um, my friend was given just briefly. He was given a nickname he didn't care for that emerged from one morning of banter, and that nickname was kind of kept going for. wasn't long maybe a few days maybe a week but I remember I sat down one morning beside him and I I addressed him by that nickname and he just said I don't like that could you please stop using that don't call me that name (laughs) and I was like oh (laughs) that's very direct (laughs) and I just thought yeah fair play to you and I I just said hey listen sure I'm sorry (laughs) I will never I will never utter that again We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the legend of the fishy bucket. Many years ago, in the southwest of England, a dedicated band of young actors in training were plying their trade. Bright, shiny and earnest. They had just finished a performance in their own theatre space, for which an audience had paid good money. After the company had taken their bow, one among them stood forth to address the audience. The one chosen to speak was either the prettiest, or the most eloquent, or the most charming. And they held aloft a little plastic bucket, the type of thing a child would take to the beach. It was blue and had red fishies on it. A pretty and beautifully enunciated speech was made about the impoverishment of the arts and the nobility of the acting profession. The audience members were moved and found themselves once again reaching for their wallets until the fishy bucket overflowed with the demonstration of their support. This podcast has no fishy bucket. But if you enjoy what you hear, if it makes you laugh, smile or think, there are two ways to contribute to the show's longevity and success. Wherever you are listening to this, you will find a supporter link and a Patreon link, either of which will allow you to make a donation of your choosing on a one-off or a recurring basis. I thank you for spending your time with me and if you are in a position to, I thank you even more for spending your money. Fight the good fight. Support art and artists. And now, we return you to The Clear Out. And it was, what struck me was, not just the directness of his communication, it was just evident that it was it was a very honest expression of how he felt and i admired him breaking protocol to reveal that in such a in such an honest way i really valued that moment and i was reflecting on that this morning out in the garden and i was thinking yeah right <laughs> so that's like like maybe you know we we all have we all have these little areas around us that we are instinctively protective of like deeply personal and this morning it just it just kind of came into my head that really what i should have said to my friend i should have said i'm sorry i'm sorry i trampled on your flower bed because recalling the incident this morning that's what it felt like it it felt it felt like i'd stepped into this beautifully arranged flower bed um and just trampled all over these nurtured cared for loved flowers and i like that idea i like that metaphor i like that image that we all have our little flower beds in front of us or around us or between us and like between, between a delicate or vulnerable part of ourselves and the outside world. And it's like we kind of cultivate a little caring area that no one else can see. But people will inadvertently be standing ankle deep in that flower bed. And we're like, "What the hell? Get out of my flower bed, man!" And it's instantly discomforting. It's instantly putting you, you know, getting your back up and making you internally wince. And yeah, I mean, I kind of feel, I feel there's a, I feel there's a connection to be drawn here. And I, I don't want to go deep into it now because I, I feel I want to come back to this and treat of it more comprehensively, but. I feel like there's a line here that we can draw back to the idea of people people protecting themselves and trying to assert their you know their right to feel safe and their right to feel and now I'm drawing it back to the earlier part of the discussion their right to feel honestly represented honestly depicted and their right to say. You got that wrong, they're right to say that's not what it's like. They're right to say you've just reduced me to this notion. you've reduced me to this you know misapprehension, this misunderstanding um this cliche um I feel I guess some people's flower beds are larger than others, so maybe that's the um that's the the sort of the e- extrapolation to 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 argue that the smaller your flower bed, the healthier you are, the stronger the smaller your flower bed, the more robust you feel, the more resilient you feel, the more you feel that you're, you you don't you, you know you don't have anything to protect, in in a good sense, um, not that you have nothing of value, but that you are secure and you do not feel threatened. Um, yeah, okay, I don't know. I don't know if that has legs. You can think about that one. I um, I personally quite like it. So if you're out there, if you're out there, me old pal, I'm sorry I trampled on your flower bed. That wasn't very nice. <laughs> and that one reminds me of, <laughs> in Melbourne, my wife and I rented our our little our little unit as they call it in uh, in Australia um, from a very nice couple who were were friends who are friends of um, my wife's sister-in-law and every now and again uh, the owner would come around to have a, a look at the house or to, to you know check something out or we'd call him over to see if there was some you know, maintenance to be done but I remember one day he came out into our garden which we maintained very well and improved in fact. I'd sort of done this little sort of zen garden feature at the back and it was rather lovely and he was out there in the garden one day and just chatting away to us and unbeknownst to him he was basically standing on our cat <laughs> and he was utterly, he was chatting away to me and I was thinking what the hell? I think you're standing, it must have been on our cat's tail. Now he wasn't, he wasn't like crushing it but it was just underneath his foot he was wearing crocs i recall and i just thought oh my goodness you're standing on our cat what the hell where's where's the respect where's the love for marlon anyway he he moved on and uh, our cat was released from his crock shod foot so there you go he trampled on our cat thanks for that one now the next thing that emerged from that same podcast this morning at one point early in the podcast the presenter Edith Edith the lovely Scottish woman she interjected with a story from her own life from her own experience which was connected to dementia and a particular uh, a particular doctor researcher that she had encountered who worked at this specialist research center or hospital where the, the focus is on you know d- dementia and its causes and potential remedies and the, the, the movie makers had visited that place in their, in their research for the movie and she had a personal connection with that place because she told the guys on the podcast that her uncle, had been diagnosed with a very particular form of dementia, which she abbreviated as I can't remember if it was PSP or PCP. Um, but really, what it, you know, the bottom line was that his deterioration was extremely fast, and he passed away. But he left uh, in his living will, he left his brain to that research centre or that research hospital. And uh, left his brain for, um, you know, for, for for research purposes. And she was invited out to the hospital, and she met the the, the female doctor or researcher who was in charge of the program. And while there, she said, "Oh, by the way, your your uncle's brain is directly beneath us, a floor below." And the the yeah, the presenter said, "Yeah, she was blown away by that," and. She described the people who worked there at the hospital as, you know, I can't remember if she used the phrase, the real heroes, something like that. You know how that one comes out? Oh, they're the real heroes. And I I kind of thought, well, yeah, I mean, sure, because that is an incredibly personal story and an incredibly personal experience. And uh, to lose a family member that way would leave an indelible mark and memory um and what i thought was it just struck me that you know we were so defined and our view of the world is so defined by our own individual experiences and really it's i mean that probably sounds incredibly obvious and self-evident but you know, I heard her tell a story and I was thinking, well, you know they're not heroes to me, those guys as much as I as much as I recognise the value of their work and uh, on a certain level admire what they do but that's a very personal response you know, based on her own story Um, but I thought yeah I mean I'm not going to invalidate that and I feel that you know this is you know, this is an area that is it, it, it does it does tie into everything that I've already been speaking about in this episode because the idea that someone else can decide can assign value are assign the value to your story or your experience without having had it. That is incredibly presumptuous. So if you feel that you know if we're going back to the idea of identity politics and culture wars and people not being heard and not being represented, the you know, one of the big complaints is that those people who feel aggrieved feel that they haven't been, they haven't been afforded a platform they haven't been afforded the means to represent themselves and feel that they have an equal stake in their society and i have i have a lot of time for that position i mean fundamentally i feel well who am i to say that that's not true i feel that there's lots of evidence to suggest the the sense of injustice is is Justified, the you know, the, the ripples out of that social discord, and whether you want to call it a social movement or refer to it as the woke movement or woke politics. It's, I feel like that's all got it's become skewed, it's become very skewed and reactive. And in last week's uh, episode, I did speak about this idea of how reacting is really not preferable to responding so if all we do is react we're like i don't know we're like we're like allergic cars sneezing at each other on a six-lane highway and every time we sneeze we blast ourselves across three lanes of traffic and mill into other cars and those cars are sneezing and milling everywhere as well so it's like this crazy crazy spaghetti junction pinball mess of sneezing reacting colliding cars wreaking massive collateral damage everywhere they go that's kind of that's my uh <laughs> that's my analogy for woke triggerism okay i don't know if that's been coined yet but i'm coining it triggerism that's more the issue because the idea of woke the idea of being awake to injustice surely that's not a problem surely that's valuable surely it's good to step up and go hold on a second guys let's have a look at this and how about looking at it honestly and looking at disparities of opportunity disparities of uh, wealth disparities in so many areas of society that can be put into certain prisms of of discrimination uh, economic discrimination of um, cultural discrimination of racism i think there's a lot of merit in that Um, but it's not a zero-sum game it's not like everything you say then becomes validated and invalidates everything the that, that i have to say there is no value in that. The objective surely is informed, nuanced discussion and a willingness to... Hmm... I didn't want to get too deep into this, but I suppose a willingness to lay down arms and have your position examined without your weapons up. Yeah, that takes strength. See, that takes that takes the the decommissioning of ego to step away from your power position and be neutral and go, okay, well here I am. Have at it. Let 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 me hear what you have to say. Let me critique me, break me down, deconstruct me. And I will allow that to happen and I will not take it personally. Uh yeah, that's the uh that's the area, isn't it? The personal area. It's all this stuff is very personal and I mean I was I was counseling my karate students this week I've got a few brothers training in in one of my karate classes and they got very they were doing a little bit of relaxed very relaxed controlled sparring but with siblings all bets are off and things started to get a bit squabbly a little bit heated and someone went over and someone hurt an ankle and there was a bit of anger and emotion going around and I was like lads come on You've got to take the emotion out of it. You can't take this personally. you got to focus on the skills. You've got to control. Control that impulse to make it personal. It's not personal. And that is a, for me, that's a fundamental aspect of traditional training. It's removing yourself from the picture. It's self-effacing. It's removing the ego. And when you remove the ego it's much harder for you to be offended it's much harder for you to be triggered it's much harder for others to get you to react it's much harder for others to provoke you into conflict this harks back to last week again what you are striving for is having the power to choose how you respond and from that point point of like hyper emotionality and hypersensitivity um and the, the sense of the sense of everything being hyper personal and personalized and a personalized vendetta and then a personalized wish to raise the institutions that's r-a-z-e not r-a-i-s-e to bring them tumbling down based on your sense of hurt and your sense of injustice there's uh, there again. It's not to invalidate genuine grievances. It's not to validate. It's not to invalidate the the, the grounds for suspecting conspiracies of suppression. I mean, I'm, I'm open to all of that. I, I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest that that is true. And cliques of power, networks of power, higher circles where all those doors up to that level are locked tightly shut and the rats are left to fight amongst themselves. When you're dealing with all of that and you're feeling like, oh my God, it's too much and I need to Yeah and you know, heads must roll. Oh, that's 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 reminding me of someone else I'm gonna talk about in a second. Let me let me come back to that. But I saw on a friend's uh a friend's Instagram feed he'd put up um I don't know if he was wearing the t-shirt, but it was a, a t-shirt being worn by someone, couldn't see the head. And on the t-shirt, it featured an R. Crumb cartoon. A uh, a panel from an R. Crumb comic, no doubt. And it featured in the foreground a very stressed out man. white as it happens, but I don't think that's relevant. Uh, a very stressed out man. Just rambling, desperately about death, and the terror and the impending end of 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 himself, and the impossibility of comprehending it all. And in the background, in the near background, the the famous R. Crumb character, Mister Natural, his uh, his sort of comical guru-like figure the bald man with the long white beard and the yellow flowing robe he's just looking at the man and I think his line is well just give it a go or just give it a try as in instead of saying it's all too much and panic 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 he's going to go well you say it's incomprehensible but maybe try to comprehend it maybe bring it back down and use what you've got use those resources to not to not impale yourself on the 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 pyre of martyrdom you know self martyrdom in this case but actually stop stand back try and get perspective and see if you can break it down with that amazing thing in your head which is called a brain and let your brain apply the power of reason and critical analysis and critical thinking and see if you can't break something down and find a way to uh, to look at it differently because that is a form of getting control over things that are overwhelming. Break them down, break them down, break them down, break them down into their component parts and start looking at the connective tissue and Things become a little bit more manageable, and a little a little bit more digestible in the intellectual sense, but also in the emotional sense. And I think that's um that's useful. That's useful. That's a that's a useful approach. Now a m- moment ago I said you might want heads to roll. That makes me think of a guillotine. That makes me think of the French Revolution. That makes me think of French aristocrats cats <laughs> meow. le Miow, I am in power le miau Arist- <laughs> aristocrats being beheaded, yeah now the French revolutionaries were apparently informed by Jean Jacques Rousseau. Jean Jacques Rousseau, the eighteenth century thinker and philosopher, Swiss born but French. And I read a quote of his this week that I thought was it, it just struck me, it made me think, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dig it out now. I'm gonna dig it out and read it to you and this is the final I think it's the final part of the final part of this tapestry. I've been trying to uh, weave, trying to keep hold of. Um, Let me find it for you here because I think it's a goodie. So listen to this. Now, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, I think, you know, he was a big advocate of, you know, freedom of choice, um, of personal freedom. It's probably a better way to put it. Sorry. And in that sense, he probably was a little bit of a precursor to sort of libertarianism but it was freedom of choice within the law based on, you know, but that was dependent on the law being a product of the general will. What people generally wanted or felt were the optimum conditions for societal cohabitation. Um, And then within that, then, every citizen could pursue their own freedom, their own personal freedom, because the law had been set up to mirror or echo or support those freedoms now here is the quote that i came across this week see what you think of this and this is a question but one of those rhetorical questions (laughs) what wisdom can you find that is greater than kindness i'll read that one to you again what wisdom can you find that is greater than kindness And that's from Rousseau. And it was his birthday, you see. It was his birthday during the week. Ah! Happy birthday, Jean Jacques! Bon anniversaire! Joyeux anniversaire! It was his birthday on the 28th of June. And he would have been, if he had remained alive through some miracle of science, he would have been 309. Ah! Look at that little old French philosopher in the garden. Isn't he tiny? Well, he's 309. What did you expect? That quote is interesting though, isn't it? So, people can, people can shit on nice. (laughs) Nice. It's one of those, nah, oh, he's nice, whatever. But kindness, I mean, I feel like kindness is a close cousin of niceness. And kindness being an expression of wisdom. That's a pretty powerful idea, I think. And I think it does tie into everything we've been speaking about today because really what I think, well, my interpretation of what Rousseau was saying is that kindness is, what he meant by kindness is perhaps tolerance. Tolerance, perhaps empathy, understanding, and the acceptance of the experience of others the acceptance of another's story another's point of view um because if we can kind of if we can prevent ourselves from rushing in with judgment something that i'm not great at i have to be honest <laughs> i know i sound like a a fount of compassion and empathy and zen non-judgment um yeah i'm i'm joking guys but yeah that idea maybe that what he's talking about is that kindness is what greater wisdom can be found than kindness tolerance perhaps is what he's he's talking about or the ability to express concern or consideration for others so if you bring that back to culture wars identity politics if we all sort of try to step into a space of what's the other person's story and what do I know of that what do I know of their perspective and it might help create a space for more patient dialogue perhaps perhaps I'm not sure um yeah so so there you go thanks thanks JJ he was in Ireland that's what he'd be called John Jack that's JJ, isn't it? I went to school with a JJ. There were a couple of JJ's actually. There was an older JJ who came back to school to resit his final year of uh, of high school, of secondary school, to do his leaving cert. Um, and I remember he used to drive to school. That was a rare thing in Ireland—guys <laughs> driving into school, students driving into school. But one thing he and I had in common was a love of Prince. Yes, the late. Prince, the musician, the singer, the dancer, the all-rounder. I recently acquired uh, a copy of Sign of the Times. I hadn't had a copy in my own music collection for a long time and I played it in the car for my daughter. Sadly, she wasn't that impressed. Yeah, I thought she'd like the ballad of Dorothy Parker but I'll, I'll, I'll keep working on her. I'll keep working on her I, I heard her the other day um, I heard her the other day telling my my wife that her her favourite musicians were David Bowie and Bonnie Raitt <laughs> I'm like you're seven what the hell Um, but of course I was I was chuffed I thought that was pretty cool and she's like no, of course there she was saying of course there are others I like as well Um, but she didn't list them but I know Stevie Wonder's in there I'm I don't know. I think she's she's on a pretty good path there with her with her musical choices. We'll see. We'll see where she fetches up further down the line. Okay, look, there you go. Um, all of that, all of that came from that lovely podcast I listened to this morning, and I'm going to give it another plug. Sound tracking with Edith Bowman. Seek it out you really uh you'll yeah if you like movies and you like music and soundtracks i think you'll enjoy it a lot but hopefully not as much as you enjoy this because i want you to come back and listen to me that's the objective here okay thank you for listening i hope you got something from this read me on the dot follow this podcast on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify find me on twitter at daraclear and stay safe stay well stay positive and in honor of our old pal rousseau stay kind all the best mind yourselves see ya.